Today's show is sponsored by Miracle Made. And oh my God, you guys, you know that I love a luxurious set of sheets. And I now have such a set of sheets because of a miracle made. They are bedding that has been inspired by NASA. They've got silver infused fabrics that actually make temperature regulating a thing. Uh, so you're not like getting too hot or too cold or whatever, you know, the whole thing that happens with your body's temperature losing its mind. Miracle made helps with that. One of the little things that my husband particularly loves about Miracle Made is that it like doesn't have as much bacteria as regular sheets because of it's infused with this silver that prevents up to 99.7% of bacterial growth. So it leaves the sheets cleaner for longer. And then the thing for my husband is that it doesn't give him acne, which is like an issue for some people. But more than all of that, it's just luxuriously comfortable and delightful. And it has that cooling feeling while also being cozy. Very hard to achieve those two things at the same time. I mean, miracle made, come on, well done. So here's what I think you should do. I think you should go to trymiracle.com slash fake the nation and buy some sheets today. And if you order today, you can save 40% off. Use the promo code fake the nation at the checkout and you'll get three free towels and save an extra 20%. So there's just a lot of savings here, folks. Order today, you'll get 40% off. Use the promo code fake the nation. Go to trymiracle.com slash fake the nation. And Miracle's so confident in their product, it's backed with a 30 day money back guarantee. So if you're not 100% satisfied, which I don't see happening, um, you'll get a full refund. Upgrade your sleep with Miracle Made. Go to trymiracle.com slash fake the nation and use the code fake the nation to claim your free three-piece towel set and save over 40% off. Again, that's trymiracle.com slash fake the nation to treat yourself. Thank you, Miracle Made, for sponsoring this episode. This is a HeadGum Podcast. Hello, hello. This is Recap the Nation, a fake the nation bonus where we take some of your favorite pop culture films and TV shows and we recap the living daylights out of them. We are delicately spooning out the bear season two, episodes five and six. Don't worry, regular episodes of Fake the Nation will still appear on this very feed on Thursdays as they always do. But for today and for the next couple of weeks, we'll be digging into the culinary chaos that is the bear on FX and Hulu. Joining me today, what a stupendous panel we have assembled. Um, he is author of the book Round Here and Over Yonder, which is now available for pre-order. Um, and you've heard him on Fake the Nation before. I've seen him do stand-up before. He's incredible. I've seen him be in a writer's room being incredible. He is the incredible Corey Ryan Forrester. Hey, Corey. Hey, Nagin. How are you? Thank you for that lovely introduction. Oh, my gosh. I mean every word of it. And, I, uh, and also, he's all over like, you know, he's got podcasts. He's got so many things. There's just many, many ways to enjoy his many works. And also joining us today, we have, oh, my good old time friend. Um, he is host of the podcast, Take Your Pill Psychopath, which is a podcast that uses comedy to destigmatize mental health issues. It's so tremendous. He is just a man, if you can see him perform live, um, you should absolutely take advantage of that opportunity because he's so fun. He's so innovative. He's just like gives you the most 
uh, I don't know, electric stand-up comedy out there. He is the one and only John F. O'Donnell. Hey, buddy. Nagin, thank you so much. You are the sweetest, uh, <laughs> and you are a dear friend, and I love you so much. I love you so much, buddy. And um, we are going to get into it with episodes five and six. Now, look, I, th- I, th- I think as li- listeners are probably like biting their nails right at right now because we all know what's coming. Um, so let's get into episode five because episode five is a little bit more of the like palatable episode. Uh, and it starts with six weeks to open. Sydney and Tina are working at a dish when they realize um, that it's kind of a lot. Uh, it was it was actually really nice to see Sydney and Tina in a fucking kitchen together. Um, but it this is this was a dish that had like you know seventy three different elements, and she was going for this and that. Uh, it do, it did feel like a little hilarious. Um, this this one dish. <laughs> Uncle Jimmy comes in to see how everything is a disaster, and um, also to scare everyone. Uh, Tina is still killing it in culinary school, but Ibra has been gone for the last few, de- few days smoking a cigar on the lake, I guess. Um, and uh, let's talk quickly about Tina. So Tina is in culinary school. She's killing it. Ibra is not there. What it, what's, What do you think is going on with Ibra? Well, I just wanted to say, like, Ibra, he survived a military dictatorship and a civil war. I think he can handle culinary school. You know what I mean? Right. So, oh, okay. So, by the way, this came up, or like it didn't come up. Maybe me and Leah Bonomo were texting about this. So, he, there was like a little line where Tina says, um, where he, where they talk about culinary school, he said, I don't want to wear the uniforms. And then Tina said, they're not that kind of uniform. And we were trying to figure out what that meant. Is it like, and I, I surmised it had something to do with his previous country and being in detention or something like that. Was that your read of it, Jay Fod? Absolutely. It was because there was some stuff in season one uh, where that was mentioned a little bit. I don't know if they specifically said the country, but he certainly was in a, a war torn place under a dictatorship. Right. Um, so he's got, so the, is this culinary, I mean, so this is culinary school just making him feel like he's like in military school, like in military school, is that what they call it? Um, that he's in, you know, that he's like a soldier. I mean, like what, like what do you, what are we thinking is happening with him? It's funny because I didn't even, I mean, I know all that, but I didn't, I didn't think that was the reason. I thought it was more, he is the last holdout from wanting to do everything old school. And like, you know, he'd been at the beef. He'd been at the beef. Like he didn't want to be at a fine dining restaurant. Like he was fully happy making the beef sandwiches. That's something that he had known. That was a routine that he was in. And now he's like, I'm not, I'm not this fancy schmancy. Like I'm from the school of hard knocks, the old school. I'm not going to no fucking culinary school. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So there's, I think there's a bit of both of that. I mean, the uniform thing gave us like an, a, a, a little peek into something about that's like triggering, if I can use the word, um, from his past. And I think you're right. He is one of the last holdouts. Now, Tina, on the other hand, um, she is embracing it. And she also goes to a party and does karaoke in front of all of her young new friends. Um, Donna O'Donnell, 
I kind of wanted to die in the beginning part of the scene because I was like, oh, God, what is she doing? She's just going to do a song by herself. Why? I just was really nervous that it was going to work out horribly. And the funny thing is, like, this show does this all the time to us, right? It sets us up to feel a certain way, and then it undermines how we thought we were going to feel. Did you join me on this this, uh, feeling of misery at the start of this scene? Well, first of all, I think Tina is so awesome and she is killing it. And I honestly, in this, I totally agree with you that they set you up one way and then go the other way on you emotionally in this show. But I really thought she was going to kill it. And she's got the golden pipes. I really did. (laughs) I was rooting for her. And I knew because the way that she got invited, it was clear that there was respect there. And I knew that it was going to be good. And She's doing awesome. She's doing awesome. And and interestingly, she had like borrowed Carmi's knife and she goes, oh, Carmi, this is your knife. Like you're you're loaning me the wrong knife. And he's like, no, it's yours now. So she's being bestowed honor after honor um, in these last four episodes. And I'm a little, (laughs) I feel like they're just setting us up to like really be sad for something. I don't oh, know, no. Corey. What is she, I don't know, Corey. What do you think? Things are going so well yeah. for Tina. I don't know. Is it too I, well? Are they going too well? I mean, well? I agree because you could say the same about Marcus right now. You know, I'd said in the last episode that like I thought they were yeah. saying that things are going really good for Marcus. You know, I thought Will Poulter was going to knock him down a peg. Didn't happen. And then with Tina. Like, I I love this scene because I think it's like classic. You know, I went to community college uh, for like a couple semesters. I didn't even graduate community college. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I went and like everybody knows that in community college, there's that like way older student who tries to ingratiate themselves with the younger folk. And sometimes it doesn't go well. And I think that sometimes the younger kids are like, there was part of me that thought, did they invite her out to embarrass her? Or because they were like, oh, we're going to go out with this old lady. You know what I mean? So because of that, I was like, yeah, she's 100% going to kill this. She's going to let everybody know like, hey, you know, I'm a real woman. I have confidence. This is what we do. But I also, I'm with you in that, like, the other shoe has to drop on either Tina or Marcus. Something bad's going to happen. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. I'm an eternal optimist. Yeah. I think they're just going to keep rising <laughs> and rising. <laughs> and everything's going to be great. And there's going to be no conflict. And that's how I like it. Oh, yeah. The bear definitely sets us up for no conflict situations. <laughs> that's uh, what this show is known to do. Um <laughs> Well, okay, so let's get into like what was, I think, part of the meat of this episode was that Carmi goes to a party for what seems like, I believe, is the first time. Can we talk about how much of his social life has, and and also just to set that up, um, he's actually kind of, I think, now more officially dating Claire. I guess we could say that they're dating. And Claire sort of asked, um, he takes Claire on a, on a ride to drop off a document, which I thought was a fun and cute date. She then invites him to a party. And she's like, when's the last time you went to a party? And he says, uh, never. And I really believe that there's something about his entire history in the restaurant world that has stolen these kind of developmental years where you're a social animal and you go to parties and you get fucking drunk and you say dumb shit. Um, and, 
do you know, do you feel, um, Corey, do you feel like there's that there's truth in that, that he's never been to a party? Yeah, I don't see any reason for them to lie to us in that moment. I, I truly believe it. Like, here's someone, in order to achieve the things that he's achieved, he had to put aside, you know, his social life. And uh, he, you know, I mean, I'd say that he probably, he'd been to parties with, like, his cousins and stuff. I guess it, when that was just all them. But, yeah, being around strangers and stuff. Right. And then we know that he's in recovery, too. So that's probably, you know, that's hard on him. But you said, I think they're dating. I got to point out... If if you're a girl and you invite me to a party that was set just to make your friend feel better about their boyfriend leaving them, we're dating. You know what I mean? That's a date. <laughs> like, you cannot be dating and go to a regular party. But if you're like, I need you to support me while I'm supporting her, that feels datey to me. Yeah. John F. O'Donnell? Um, I mean, I'll take it at face value if he says he's never been to a party. Uh, I guess he's never been there. Uh, I think part of it may be the upbringing and having to always, you know, being around somebody, being around, uh, being raised by an alcoholic and having to be around that and always try to keep things on an even keel uh, may have given, given him an aversion to going to these parties. Yeah, I can see that. Um, but also, thing- can I throw another question yeah. at you, John O'Donnell? This has been a little bit of the, the DM action here from Fake the Nation listeners. Is Carmi a virgin? Ooh. Yeah. With those triceps? <laughs> <laughs> Are you kidding me? Those baby blues. <laughs> um, apparently he hangs out in Bushwick sometimes, so I'm sure he's doing fine. <laughs> really? But uh, no. Yeah, he, he hooked no. up with, okay. he hooked up with somebody when he was in Copenhagen, for sure. Yeah. I, he's, he hasn't had... so. And I don't think he's had the kind of um, sexual intimacy that comes from like a long term relationship or even a even a medium term relationship. Like, I don't I just don't think he's experienced that kind of intimacy, that kind of vulnerability. Like, I think that's where he's laid in. And she even in this episode really asked him, like, why did you give me a fake number? She's asked him before. She hasn't gotten a clear answer. And he says to her. I like you so much, and I feel like I missed a lot. Basically, I don't know how to behave around a girl. Um, and then yeah. they kiss. Uh, we were owed something of a pedestrian romantic kiss, um, <laughs> just the simple entertainment of it. And we we were owed this. Also, knowing what happens in episode six, I think we were granted this as like a brief respite. Also, wasn't it right on time? Because I was vi- I was feeling this vibe between Carmi and Sid. Right. And the way that they were kind of looking at each other, the way Sid's looking at Carmi, I was like, ah, what's happening here? Like, it felt like a love interest had to be like slid into the show to not disrupt the uh, the dynamic of those two characters. No, I'm with you. And like, you know, that sort of got noticed when somebody said, oh, he's with Claire. And Sydney was just kind of like, what? Who's Claire? It wasn't too much, but it was just a little bit to be like, oh, okay. So a little something. Yeah, I guess we're not doing this thing. But yeah. And when you say we were owed this, I pointed it out to my wife last night that this was the longest she'd ever watched a show where there was no sexuality at all. <laughs> like, like my <laughs> wife very much, like, I can't tell you how many times we've watched a show and she's like, can somebody fuck, please? Like, anybody? Uh, but yes, we, <laughs> we were very much owed that. 
It is. I mean, and I think that's one of the remarkable things about this show. I. It's so funny because I never, ever, literally never once felt like a romantic vibe between Sydney and Carmi. I felt like, I feel like it's been mentorship, um, confusing partnership the entire time. I think it's so professional. You know what I mean? I think she's seeking his approval all the time, but I don't think she's seeking that dick. You know what I mean? I, I agree up until very close to when Claire was in, has been introduced. And like Corey said, there is that line where she's like, who's Claire? Yeah, where that she was, was a little never weird. introduced or brought up that Carmi never brought her up to Sid. Yeah. And then when then later in the episode, when she sh- when Claire shows up and they're all fighting and, and at, in the restaurant, um, she said, uh, Sid says, um, I wrote it down like, uh, I'm sorry that you're here is what she says. She goes, oh, I meant to say, I'm sorry that you're here seeing this. <laughs> but she says, I'm sorry that you're here. Yeah, yeah. I think yeah, that's yeah, another yeah, little yeah. little subtle thing. Yeah. I mean, that was just like a really, I don't you know, think it's, it's by accident. No. Freudian right. Slip. No, that that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That that makes sense. And I mean, did you first of all, did he really think no one was going to be at the restaurant? I know that it's right. late, but like every second counts. They've been working around the clock. It's almost like he wanted her to see here are the characters in yeah, my Yeah, I don't know. Maybe you're right. Yeah. yeah, or he I do know that when he went to the party, I had like a low grade anxiety thing. I was like, what are you doing at the party? Yeah. You got to get back to the kitchen and I help sit with the menu. <laughs> <laughs> we got six weeks to open here. What are you doing? They're playing beer pong. I know he's like spending. I don't know how long pretending to be Logan, you know, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, he does the Logan thing. I mean, this, I, and I was like, oh, he's learning how to be at a party. Like, this is really cute. Like, he's flexing his muscles on uh, on being Logan. And maybe that's his trick, just like be Logan um, every time. Uh, and, and the other thing that I think is really interesting about this episode, it's all about how do these people, Tina, Carmi, behave when they're around people who don't make food? You know, there's like a shorthand, I think, about the life of a kitchen. And there's a way that they behave that's maybe a little more curt. It's a little bit more ball busty. It's a little, you know, it's a little less about just the pleasantries and the joke and the being Logan, right? And when you're around civilians, and I think this is true, again, can I In stop? comedy, yeah. Uh, yes, I like, can, I, listeners will are probably want to punch me in the face, and I can't stop making comparisons between comedy and being a chef. But basically in comedy, we get to the point, right, we're in a lot of be- green rooms, and the green room chatter is fucking bananas. We say shit that would get all of us canceled all the time, right? <laughs> like it's not, you cannot talk that way at a party with polite society. You shouldn't talk that way. And I think there's something there. Um, is Are we are we seeing, are we watching these people learn how to behave with civilians? Oh yeah, I mean, and it's the, the same for comedy why I think that we, like if you, if you go to a party 
like where there's all forms of entertainers, singers, dancers, comedians, all the comedians yeah. will eventually find each other yes. and go stand in the back and start their party is talking shit about yeah. the party. And it just like in, in cooking or whatever, it's like, I just, and even if, by the way, like me and John who have never met, I guarantee you, if we were at a party, we would meet each other and we would talk for the entire three hours as if we were best friends yeah. <laughs> because we've got that shared experience. Yeah. Like we both just know the deal. And I have to assume it's the same way with being, you know, being a chef. Yeah. I refer to the comedians as an extended dysfunctional family. And I'm sure yeah. it's the same yeah. for people that are in the culinary field because it's an obsession, just like comedy can be an obsession. Yeah. It's like there's a compulsive aspect to it. There's a, a sort of need to do it. So it definitely it definitely parallels. And I, you know what I love is that in the last episode, Will Poulter in Copenhagen, the character, the chef character, um, he kind of taught us that you're sort of like, you need to be okay with your your who you are in the kitchen and you need to be okay with not being perfect and not the best and you'll never be that guy um and i think showing them in other settings is a little indication of like whether or not they're capable of like be of being okay as just human beings you know um so i really i've really enjoyed I, I mean, again, knowing what 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 Oasis in episode six now, um, I really enjoyed seeing this this episode because it was fun. You know what I mean? In both Kate, but for both for Tina and for Carmi. So let's take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll launch into the epic uh, mild torture that was episode six. Today's show is sponsored by Rocket Money. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions. It monitors your spending. It helps lower your bills so that you can grow your savings. I have used Rocket Money. And you guys, honestly, I had no idea how many things I was subscribing to that I didn't want to be subscribing to. I think we all go into, we enter into subscriptions with a Pollyanna view that we're going to use as a subscription, even though it's a super obscure, you know, education app from Albania that uh, teaches Russian math or whatever. And then you're like, I'm never going to use this. Why did I get it? I should remember to cancel it. And then you don't. And I know you guys are like me and I know you've done this to yourselves. And guess what? 75% of people have subscriptions that they've forgotten about. So we're all in this bucket. And I think paying for that stuff is so angering and Rocket Money is there to help. Because basically Rocket Money shows you, hey, look at this is what all the things you are subscribed to. But then here's the bigger thing. To unsubscribe, you don't have to go through the whole rigmarole. Rocket Money unsubscribes for you with a click of a button. It's so easy. The other thing Rocket Money did for me, which I was incredibly grateful for, was reduce the cost of one of my bills. It was my cable bill. Yes, I still have cable. Rocket Money has over 5 million users that have saved a total of $500 million in canceled subscriptions, saving members up to $740 a year when using all of the app's features. I mean, that tracks for me and for the number of things I was paying for that I'm frankly ashamed of. So thank you, Rocket Money, for like fixing the shame glaze on my life. Uh, so stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash fake the nation. Again, that's rocketmoney.com slash fake the nation. Rocketmoney.com slash fake the nation, you guys. 
Welcome to Fail Better, David Duchovny's new podcast with Lemonada Media. On Fail Better, David, who has experienced both low and high-profile failures throughout his life, explores the vast world of failure, how it holds us back, propels us forward, and ultimately shapes our lives. Each week, he'll chat with guests like Ben Stiller, Bette Midler, and more about how our perceived failures have actually been our biggest catalysts for growth, revelation, and even healing. Through these conversations, he hopes listeners can learn how to embrace the opportunity of failure and fail better together. Fail Better is out now wherever you get your podcasts. And we are back and let's launch into episode six. It's called Fishes. It's an hour long episode. I referenced, um, I mentioned that it was like a bit torturous. Uh, I mean, I mean that it was also incredible. Uh, But there were moments that I put my hands in front of my eyes. I didn't want to fucking watch what was going on? It was a flashback episode. It's 256 weeks till open. Um, I mean, we'll we'll do- we'll dive into some character details here, but just off the bat, like John of O'Donnell, how did this episode make you feel? Uh, Low grade anxiety, like you said. I had my I had my fingers on my temples. <laughs> I really did. It was wild. Um, honestly, is like. This this whole thing, like I was saying a little bit earlier, trying to keep an even keel for uh, a parent with alcoholism for the younger kids is such a challenging thing. And I think it's great that uh, Carmi's going to those Al-Anon meetings, which are for people who are affected by other people in their family or they know that are mm-hmm. alcoholics. But just to see it all on on just just full just full fledged was was wild and also for the episode to start and for just bob odenkirk and john mulaney and sarah paulson to show up was pretty wild yeah wild um cory yeah it was stacked i mean i genuinely i tweet not tweeted i texted a bunch of my friends that i know are watching the bear afterwards and i mean this i said that's probably the most intense episode of television I've ever seen. And I'm including like Battle of the Bastards from Game of Thrones. (laughs) Like it was because it was so because at least in Battle of the Bastards, you're like, well, this isn't real. But this was so real. Like this was such a real family. And can I also say Jamie Lee Curtis needs to be nominated for an Emmy because she was just putting on a master class. Like I knew that lady. It's luckily I don't. Well, that's kind of my grandmother a little bit. It's just we don't really have anything to do with my grandmother because of this. Uh, and it, it was it was hard, man. But it was it was perfectly choreographed. I loved all the cameos. John Mulaney crushed it. But yeah, it was it was fucking like like you said. My hands are on my temple the entire time, and like boom, we're right back to the uncut gems tone of the yeah, show. Yeah, this was a lot, and also the way they were cutting it. Um, especially when they were in the kitchen. So the re- it, the the episode's called Fishes because the mom is making seven fish dishes, and there's like some whatever, um, you know, historical religious reason that they do that. And the scene in the kitchen, the mess in the kitchen, is just out of control. She wants people to help her, but at the same time, when they try to help her, she doesn't let them help her. She's an alcoholic who is just 
utterly volatile, um, a terrible drunk, but also a fun drunk, uh, and 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 dives into these mood swings that are just unbearable. Um, you know, I'm familiar with it. Uh, she's, you know, I wouldn't say an alcoholic, but it just maybe, you know, pseudo minor. Um, and also a just a terrible drunk who like really loves drinking socially, but when she does, it's like really terrible. And so I've seen her just like br- bring a room to a halt with tears and you're like what is going on why are you crying like and and to see um everyone kind of tiptoe around that and just hope that it's you know they start out the episode with Michael um saying well look she's at a 4 right now i mean at least she's not at a 7 we know she's not you know this is pretty good <laughs> and they're like this is pretty good she's only crying every 5 minutes you know um what do you think so now let's let's start with sugar she seems like she's the one that sort of keeps the family like Michael seems like he's the linchpin. He's got a lot of skills, but he's also taking this on by developing his own drug addiction, right? Um, Donna Padana, what did you think of Sugar's role? Now, what what do we now know about Sugar? Well, Sugar, aka Natalie, I feel I feel so bad for her. She's desperately trying to uh, keep it, everything balanced, but she's totally overwhelmed. You can see how traumatized she is. She's trying. She's she so desperately wants her mom to be okay that she keeps asking her if she's okay, even though that is the thing that drive one of the things that drives her mother off the edge. But she can't help it. That's how deep these emotional wounds are. And honestly, throughout the show, the uh, the sugar character has not been developed as much as the other characters, I would say. But you mm-hmm. really do get a lot of character development for her uh, by seeing how the relationship with her and her mother. And I think it also uh, reveals why she's married to such just a normal everyday guy, like a nice regular guy, because she yeah. wants that stability. And holy shit, do they treat Pete like like garbage, garbage. in the show, man? He's a I nice still, guy. Yeah, I know. I but still he don't brought the eighth why. fish. He brought the eighth fish. <laughs> <laughs> That's ridiculous. <laughs> she threw it and Nav threw it outside the, on the, the street. <laughs> yeah. Oh Dude, my god. It was like for the like it's so I'm so glad that they had that runner of like how insanely stupid the seven fish is because they were able to bring humor into this otherwise completely volatile situation. But like I'm with you, I felt so bad for sugar because I've actually been on both ends of sugar, the the sugar type, whereas like I, you know, I have been very open about suffering from anxiety and mental illness. And I, at one point in my life, was definitely the guy that's like, if someone asked me if I was okay, it would piss me off because it was basically them admitting clearly something's wrong and I didn't realize it was visible. But then also I've been the person who just wanted so badly to help somebody else out and I get screamed at for doing it. And it's just such a hard spot to be in. And and everybody too, like, they get mad at sugar and act like it's her fault 
Which, I mean, it is. That's her button that she pushes. But, like, she's just trying so hard. And everybody's like, Jesus Christ, sugar. Like, what are you thinking? Like, can you, you can't ask her if she's okay right now. And, man, I thought Abby Elliott played it perfect. She was pitiful. And, and, and man, that was rough. And broken. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. And yeah. I, 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 what I w- wanted to say um, about the kitchen um, before, too, in terms of, like, the chaos of the scene, you know, we're seeing – a lot of cuts in the kitchen from season one that were fast cuts and they kind of make you feel disoriented, like it's moving very fast pace and it's handheld and what's going on. And it's supposed to make you feel like you're in the chaos of a kitchen. Now, what what they turned it up a notch here with Jamie Lee Curtis in these kitchen scenes, they not only are doing fast cuts and it's handheld and oh my God, but they have they're very close. So it's claustrophobic. This kitchen is very small. It also makes you feel the claustrophobia of like being at that Christmas dinner, being around family, feeling that that feeling that you can't escape the Christmas dinner. Um, there's nowhere to go. You just have to keep going through it, keep dealing with all of these people. So the, so the angles are really close. And on top of that, we keep going to this kitchen timer. We're doing a Zoom close-up cutaway of this kitchen timer every time it goes off. And it kind of stops your heart. Um, and another fucking fish dish is supposed to go in. You're supposed to free up a range. You're supposed to do a thing. She's constantly barking these orders. What does that kitchen tell you and that mom tell you about Carmi? I mean, well, that's the like $5 million question. Yeah, I think that the three kids react and deal with the trauma that their mother inflicts upon them in different ways. I think that Carmi gets very insular. He gets very removed, not necessarily disassociates, but certainly becomes very inward. And that's how he deals with it, I think. Um, I think that Michael gets very angry and I think that sugar tries to be the caretaker and, and maintain balance. Yeah. I also, think, I think that sounds right. Also, Corey just revealed uh, his uh, anxiety and mental health issues. So it's time to disclose mental health issues. I have Hooray! Yay. Yay! I'm doing well these days, but I have been through the ringer. Um, and holy moly, Jamie, Jamie Lee Curtis's performance. I have never experienced um rapid cycling moods like that. But towards towards the end of that episode, when she is cycling through different moods and emotions so quickly, that is an intense performance, and it is fucking wild. And I was just gonna say, like bringing it back to Carmi. Um, growing up with a mother like that, I mean, one of the things that he seemed to be doing a lot of is cleaning in the kitchen. Um, and I think that mm-hmm. he's his reaction is to go back to orderly, go back to orderly, like his kitchen is orderly, like that's what he wants because his his mom is not remotely orderly. And also the way she's doing, even though the meal is beautiful and she's clearly skilled, it's like not remotely orderly. Corey, what did you think? Yeah, I mean, I think that this, this kitchen scene really sets up Carmi's thought process. Like you just said, like he, it's like, he's trying to do, this is what he grew up in. This is how he sees a kitchen being run by his mother. And he's just like, okay, we're not, we're not doing that. We have to have some semblance of order. Let's be nice to each other. Uh, man, I mean, that was just, you can see why, 
with this episode, we talked about it last episode, but you can really see why this guy doesn't go to a lot of parties. Like all of his experiences with alcohol his entire life have been completely negative. I mean, they spend the entire episode just checking all the bottles like, wow, she's drank another one. Wow. And he, I think he really just sees how this affects people. And he's like, I can't, I can't be that guy. Uh, but man, I mean, I just, I just can't say enough about what Jamie Lee Curtis made me feel <laughs> because like <laughs> I haven't experienced that from both ends. Like it was, I, yeah, Carmi needs therapy. He needs to be going to those meetings and stuff like that. Clearly. I think the Al-Anon stuff is starting to help him because I think he had a pretty healthy yeah. exchange with Claire talking about uh, Mikey's suicide. That was way seemed way more open than how yeah. you would see him talk about it in season one. Yeah, I'm glad you brought up Mikey's suicide because that's this episode really lets you know, like, okay, I I I get that now. Like, you you understand his struggle. He's clearly struggling with anger issues. He's clearly struggling with mommy issues. And uh, yeah, I don't want to discredit Barenthal's performance because I was talking too much about Jamie Lee Curtis's. But uh, yeah, it was a really eye-opening, great laying the pipe in the past for what happened in season one. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Yeah, and I, I also want to say, I mean, it really did bring the suicide into full focus because it felt like, okay, here's this guy who feels like the kind of... It, there's even a moment where Carmi says... Um, Mikey, can you come in here and be your be yourself? Because uh, I don't know how to deal with these fucking people, and that seems like that was always his job. It's just kind of like deal with everyone to be his charming self, to make everybody calm down, um, and 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 kind of be the sort of like force for fun, and um and 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 you can see how that takes a toll on a person because he had to do that in the family business and then there's sort of no he had no outside thing everything was about this family the family business was about the family um and you know and he was probably still very in, uh, engaged with his mom who was is clearly someone who needed and probably still needs um, constant uh, attention. And so I think that's, um, and and he was acting as like the adult in the family, right? Like the father figure by saying to Carmi, like, don't come here. And where Carmi's like, would it p kill you to pick up the phone? It's not that he doesn't want to talk to his brother. He loves his brother. It's like, he's just trying to get his brother the fuck out of this situation because he's talented, you know, right, and um, and you can kind of see Michael like making all of those moves. Like Michael has just been strategizing, making moves for the last however many years, um, and sometimes it seems like too much. Um, but I, but it, you know, sometimes it seems heartless. Uh, it's it's very much like Matt Damon and Ben Affleck's dynamic in Goodwill Hunting. Like Mike, <laughs> yeah, yeah, Ben yeah. Affleck, just like you're too. Hey, my fucking dream is that I come here and I go to that door and you don't come out, brother. You know what I mean? It's like that. Like you're destined for greatness. You should get the fuck back to Copenhagen or whatever it is you're gonna do. Yeah. Um. Let's quickly talk about Sarah Paulson and John Mulaney. I had a realization. So I don't know if she's an aunt. She's a cousin. I guess she's a cousin. She's an older cousin. She's got the short hair. They kind of look a little different. Uh, Mulaney's wearing glasses. You know what I mean? They're, they've got like a we live in New York City look. And I just want to say that I realized 
I am the New York City cousin. Like when I go home to Southern California and we have a Christmas, I am 100%. I'm wearing my glasses. I've got an outfit on that nobody totally understands. Like I, nobody understands my job. Like I'm just this weird New York City cousin. And, um, and I was just like, oh, fuck, I'm a total stereotype. Uh, talk to me about Sarah Paulson's role also in in Carmi's life. Well, I thought that that exchange they had when she invited him to go stay with her in New York to escape all the madness anytime that she wants was really nice. And I thought it was very clear that that happened. And then he ended up working in these high end, uh, amazing restaurants, you know? So I thought I thought her performance was great. I thought I thought it was I thought it was I thought it brought interesting balance to the episode. And I thought that uh, John Mulaney did a great job, too. Yeah, I've never seen John Mulaney like do an acting job. I mean, in this way, like I know he's done acting jobs, (laughs) but you know what I mean? Like an acting job. Uh, Corey, what did you think of this couple? Oh, I, I loved it. I loved the way that they basically treated this whole thing like it was dinner for schmucks. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like they're the they're the elites and they're they're at the circus and they're like paid audience members of the circus. Like Mulaney with all the facts, like he was doing that thing that sometimes smart people do and they they get away with sometimes where he was making fun of these people yeah. to their face, but they didn't know that he was making fun of them. You know what I mean? Like when he goes, he goes, oh, you know what? I'll give you $500 if you will call me every week and update me on these baseball cards. And then, and he's, and he's sitting there, he's like thumbing it out. And he's just like, I love coming here because every time you two deliver and they don't realize that what he's saying is you entertain me because of how fucking stupid you are, right? And so those two characters were great to be like, okay, here's uh, outside looking in people. They're the ones that go that tell the audience like, oh, we're not crazy for thinking this is the most dysfunctional shit that we've ever seen in our life. You know what I mean? But in a very pretentious way. And I yeah, I think they were both great. I was, I'm not going to say shocked because Mulaney seems like somebody that can do everything, but I'm with you. Like, I've never seen him not be exactly Mulaney. And I thought it was awesome. So let's talk about the fork scene. Um, now, this is the scene that I barely could watch uh and and listeners know i I, yeah. I like to try and watch these episodes twice <laughs> i had a hard time watching this episode a second time um in many ways i didn't really <laughs> because it was just too much for me um and this scene in particular so bob odenkirk he's the what he's like the boyfriend ish or something of jamie lee curtis um in, yeah. in the room. I guess, but Oliver Platt kept kissing her on the mouth. That was also weird. Yeah. That was weird. I couldn't decide. Yeah, I was like, wait. I think the lead Pete character, they have some be... sort of relationship like that. He's like some version of like a stepdad-esque to, uh, to Michael and Sugar and um, Carmi. Right. Um, well, so there's a point where Basically, they're just, you know, throwing jabs at each other about how Carmi can't finish, you know, can't follow through with a business or whatever, how he retells stories. 
Um, and and Lee is just like the Bob Odenkirk character is just obviously this hated figure um, who no one sees as having like a real place in the family. Uh, and so uh, Michael starts throwing forks at him and it's like clear that they're going to maybe just start fighting. Um, I... <laughs> I have not been around this level of family chaos. Have you guys been? I'm like literally just thinking about it. And I'm like sweating. Um, John F. O'Donnell, what did what did the scene make you feel? I haven't been around fork throwing. That was that that scene was so. That was when I had my fingers on my temples watching yeah. that scene. <laughs> yeah, it was yeah. so rough. I remember once me and my sister had a fork with peas on it. And we were flinging peas at each other, but that was kind of way more playful. this was fucking brutal and when bob odenkirk is saying he's like you're nothing you're nothing you're nothing oh god bob odenkirk was being such an asshole he's being such an asshole but also you're you wonder what are the many fucking mistakes that michael has made obviously he's made very many mistakes i mean he he indebted a restaurant like he wasn't a good manager we know this about him right um and so part of it is speaking the truth that everyone's thinking even though obviously the way that bob odenkirk was doing it was fucking terrible and he seems also like a monster uh but i don't know i mean where where did you land on totally this? that 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 relationship did not happen in a vacuum you're totally no. right and i think too that we're forgetting that my understanding is that Mikey has substance abuse problems as well. Right. Yeah. You know. I, right. So he was exactly, in, he was, and there and there's but but they were hidden well enough that Carmi didn't really know. Right. Yeah. The the people could see that he's falling apart. Uncle Lee could see that he was falling apart. Um, but Carmi hadn't seen it, but also Carmi wasn't around. Uh, Corey, what did you what did you make of this scene? Uh, yeah, I, I, that's what I took from that is like when Pete kept going. It, no, it was Lee. Lee, right? Yeah. That's Bob Odenkirk is Lee. Okay, yeah. When he said, he's like, are you even here right now? Can you see us behind the fog? Yeah. You know, and it was like, oh, okay. He's got substance abuse issues. Of course, Carmi didn't realize that because he's not there. You yeah. know what I mean? And Lee sees this all the time. And unfortunately, uh, and not necessarily with my immediate family all the time, but I've been at a dinner kind of like that where it just gets so, like someone gets upset over something innocuous and then it gets real personal, real fast. Yeah. And you just can't get out of that moment. Like everybody's telling you to calm down. You know that you should calm down, but there's that part of you that's like, I'm fucking in this right now. So... You know, it's like Kenny Powers. It's like, I can't stop screaming because that means I lost the fight and I won't, you know. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, that that was uh, that was super intense. I think Lee is a douchebag. Um, and, and that pissed me off when like he set it up really well with like when he comes in there, and he's like, we've heard this story a million times. And Mikey's like, OK, you have. But like they haven't that exact thing has happened to me so many times where <laughs> i'm telling somebody a new st- so many times where i'm telling somebody a new story and one of my comedic partners who's known me forever is like yeah we've heard this and i'm like they fucking haven't i'm telling them for the first time shut the fuck up so i yeah. wanted to throw a fork at him by the way i'm so concerned about be about telling a story 
again, that someone has already heard that I always start a story, even though I'm 99% certain this person I'm talking to does not know the story. I'll almost always say, oh, did I tell you this? I'm not sure if I told you this, but da 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 And then just so they give to give them an opportunity to tell me, oh, you did mention this. I'm like, oh, right. I thought I maybe did, you know, like just to give me an out. I don't know. This, that that issue is like somehow something that stresses me out also. But you were going to say, John O'Donnell. I was going to say that's your little disclaimer. Yeah, I always say that. Like, I'll I'll start many stories. Oh, I don't know if I said this before, but oh, that's yeah. cool. I'll just tell my <laughs> stories again and again and again. Whatever. <laughs> Me too. Me too. Because I'll tag them. I, since the last time I told you, I've added something. You know what I mean? I've worked out the bit. You so hear like, the new version of this real life story? Yeah. Like, what if it's a great story? Like, you know how many times I listen to Ron White tell the tater salad joke? Some things need to be reheard right. a million times. Right. Fuck you. <laughs> yeah. Bob Odenkirk, what the fuck? And Mikey, so then, stop throwing forks. Holy shit. That's fucking Oh, sweet. I know. I mean, he was being an idiot. Um, And then, of course, the, the person who breaks the tension... <laughs> Is Jamie Lee Curtis by running her car into the foyer? <laughs> That's nuts. I mean, talk about heightening a scene. I mean, my first instinct was. <laughs> and then she was, just smiles. She just fucking laughs. My first, my first thought, literally, my first thought was like, oh, I wonder if they hired the same guy to do the drywall in the restaurant as the guy who then repaired the foyer after this, <laughs> after Jamie Lee Curtis runs her car into it. That's amazing. That was your first thought? I started immediately going into like logistical thoughts of like, what is it going to take? This is a big repair job. Do they put a board up or something? She's obviously damaged the house. What's the resale value on this after this car wreck? (laughs) That's hilarious. That's where you went immediately. That's amazing. And I really went, before we end this episode, I want to bring, just mention a tender moment because there was one of those in this episode. Um, Oh, we need a little we didn't mention cousin Richie we met cousin Richie his wife who was pregnant at the time do you you know cousin Richie interestingly was almost like the calm character in this episode he was the sweet character in this episode he was not causing troubles in this episode um what did that make you feel about cousin Richie well I did want to talk about cousin Richie because I thought it's really interesting what's going on with him so we're seeing him uh five years ago He's still married. He's awaiting his first child. You can see the interaction between him and his and his wife, Tiff, that they have. There's a lot of good love there mm-hmm. at the time. So the relationship certainly isn't strained like it currently is. When he talks to Cicero, uh, Uncle Jay and that character in that episode, he's he's asking for a job saying that he thinks of himself, that he has a lot of potential Cut to earlier in this season when he's talking to Carmi, he's worried that he doesn't have anything to offer to the restaurant. So it's showing the change that's happened to this man over the course of five years and how he's become a lot more, unfortunately, broken and a lot, you know, obviously angrier now. Yeah, they did a really good job of probably setting up why Richie and his wife got divorced in that the thing with his uncle didn't really work out and he's still at the restaurant and he's unhappy and, you know, obviously it shouldn't, but your your work life bubbles over into your personal life. And he was like, this is, you know, this is before he was completely broken. He still had some sort of hope. He's like, oh, I've got potential. My uncle's going to help yeah. me out. And and then it just it just didn't 
they just didn't work out. But uh, but yeah, I thought that was a great nod to like you were saying when he's in the when he's in the basement and and he's like, what 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 can I do? Like what what's going on here? I, I feel like because he told that story, he's like, I was reading this story about this friend that like blah blah blah, and he ends up getting cut out of their lives, and he's like, I feel like I'm just gonna be left behind. Yeah, like you're gonna cut this ass out or something like that, and then and then Carmen yeah, cut says, this ass out. I'm not I'm not cutting this ass or whatever. <laughs> Um, okay, let's talk, but as we close the show, um, I wanted to just mention this one, like, really kind of nice moment between um, Carmen and uh, Michael. They're in the pantry. This scene sort of felt like a little bit, it's like something out of the big chill or something like it had. It was like, you know, these conversations in pantries feels like they happen more in the 80s than they do now. <laughs> and, um, and, uh, <laughs> and it was like... <laughs> <laughs> They're like in this pantry, and the and the camera's also doing like a very slow push, like the in, length of an entire scene push into the pantry, and it ends with um you know with Michael saying like tell me something about um you know where you've been like Copenhagen, and 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 Carmen says it's the most beautiful place I've seen. I slept on a boat and I fed an invisible cat, and it just felt yeah. like this you know this perfect like thing of. Now you've got this guy, this brother, he's seen some of the world and he's not going to unsee it. He's seen the real beauty. He's seen, you know, he's had an odd experience. He's met an invisible cat. Um, and uh, and I don't know. I just thought that that was um, like a, a sign of the tenderness. And it sort of brings you back to like Carmi had this dream of opening a restaurant with his brother. Uh, what Do you have any... Um, do you have any final thoughts on episode six, the mini torture episode that was also really good? Well, I um, I thought that scene was beautiful. I thought that scene was really cool because uh, Mikey was excited to get a gift from his brother, but more so he wanted to hear about the experience. Yeah. That was like a real gift for him to get. And is very clear that he cares about his brother and wants him to be able to escape this very, very difficult uh, reality. And it also showed that Carmi just wants to work with his brother in the oh, restaurant. Yeah, You know, he made that picture. And then you could tell that Mikey was like somewhat plastic smiling that he liked the gift because he didn't want he didn't want Mikey to get he didn't want Carmi to get sucked into that thing. So we felt very conflicted about it. Yeah. And then when Carmi left, the reaction that Mikey had was interesting because he started he, he got choked up and he was he was he was crying and stuff. But it didn't seem like it was totally in response to that. It seemed like some rage was coming out. It just yeah. seemed a little unhinged. Yeah, it was. So it, it was, was very it was weird. It was very unsettling. It was very unsettling. Corey, final thoughts on this episode? Yeah, I love that. I love that scene. And you can tell on Mikey's face when he shows him the drawing and he's like, that's great, kid. You know, let's go for it. You can you can see on his face that he's like, oh, God, he doesn't know how in debt I've made this restaurant and how hard this is going to be to pull off. But I really want him to achieve his dreams. Um, I thought I thought that was great. I also love when he talks about he goes, I slept on a boat and fed an invisible cat. I love the payoff of the couple episodes 
episodes ago when Marcus is like, yeah, I'm pretty sure this cat doesn't even exist. And I thought that was just like such a random little, I, whoever the writer was that decided we're going to put this little teeny tiny thing in here that barely matters. I love you so much. Yeah. And speaking of the writer, I, that last scene when she runs into the, yeah. the wall, I immediately thought of that from a writer's perspective, and it really tickled me knowing that, like, they're writing this episode, it's so heightened, it's so chaotic, and somebody was like, we really have to end on a bang, I don't know how we're going to do that, and somebody was like, (laughs) okay, uh, tell me if this is stupid or not, but... What if right. she runs her car through the wall and they were like, fuck yeah, we got a budget now, baby. Let's yeah, yeah, do it. Let's do it. Yeah, yeah. And and all, and the way that she's like hysterically laughing in the car and crying or whatever. And the, you just cut away. Scary. You don't even need to see the scene. It's just the audio. And then on Natalie's face and on Carmi's face. And they're just looking at each other like, this is fucked, you know, and and they they both go away in different ways from this scene. Um, sugar through marriage and a, and a different like line of work and, um, you know, and Carmi, you know, in Europe. Folks, that is the end of the episode. Um, this has been just a tremendous series to recap so far. I cannot wait to see how it all ends. I have no idea. I have not watched Beyond. So I'm just, uh, woo, I don't know what to expect. But what I would really love is for the people of Faith the Nation to be able to follow the two of you and the wonderful things that you do. John F. O'Donnell, where do they do that? Well, I would love if uh, you joined my free newsletter. Uh, it's at jfodnews.com, jfodnews.com. I'm using it to write a book about bipolar disorder and comedy. And every week I chip away at it and I write a new excerpt that you can follow along with me. So if you want to, you know, join that ride, you could uh, sign up at jfodnews.com. And there's my podcast, Take Your Pill Psychopath. And on the social media sites, I'm at jfod loves you. <laughs> Follow all of his things. These are so great. And it's such a, and, 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 and it's just such a, like, this is a great, but a fun way to talk about mental illness. And uh, I don't know. And it's incredible. So um, follow everything that J- John F. O'Donnell does. Um, Corey Ryan Forrester, where do they find you? Uh, you can go to CoreyRyanForrester.com and it's got all the links to all my stuff. But what I'm uh, most serious about right now is I have a new book available for pre-order. It's called Round Here and Over Yonder. It's a hillbilly travel guide. Uh, me and Trey Crowder uh, talked about the United States, our travels in that. And we also went over to the UK. That's the over yonder part. So you can uh, get that pre-ordered now around here over yonder and also listen to our semi-companion podcast about it, Putting on Airs. You can get it wherever you get your podcasts. And I guess if we're in Plug City right now, parttimefunnyman.com is my newsletter. And I would love it if you join me over there. Um, everything that's in Plug City should be followed. Uh, he's so um, incredible, so prolific. There's so many great ways to enjoy his many, many good works. So definitely go do that. Pre-order Toot Sweet. And you know where to find me in all the things that I do. If you've been enjoying Fake the Nation, if you've been enjoying these recap episodes, perhaps you'll go to patreon.com Nagin Farsad and support the show. Um, you've already been getting a couple shows for one um, with this recap, um, but you can get even more shows with just um, 
a really small subscription um, at patreon.com slash Nagin Farsad. You get bonus episodes of the show. You get other bonus stuff. It's so fun. Um, the bonuses are where we really let it rip, as they say in the bear. I would really love to thank uh, our wonderful producer, Andrew McGuire. Thanks to everyone at Hegem for making the show a possibility. Thank you to Gabby Alter for our theme music. You can reach us at fakethenationpodcast at gmail.com. Again, that's fakethenationpodcast at gmail.com for any ideas you might have. And otherwise, we'll be back in your earballs on Thursday. That was a headgum podcast.